All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to Saber Sims DFS Office Hours. It is Thursday, June 16th of 2022. Thank you for tuning in here today. We are on time here. Uh, I made sure I pressed uh, the go live button at exactly 2 p.m. Eastern. I know we were a couple minutes late yesterday here. So on time, ready to rock here for today's show. Uh, if this is your first time watching or listening to Office Hours, my name is Jordan. I'm the head coach here at SaberSim, and DFS Office Hours is an open Q&A style show where I answer questions from the SaberSim community about SaberSim, about DFS, uh, whatever you guys want to talk about. Your questions drive the conversation on this show. If you have questions you'd like me to answer, you can email us, support at SaberSim.com. If you're here with me live, First of all, welcome. But second of all, you can post your questions in the YouTube chat here. Uh, and whether you're watching live or catching the recording of this show, uh, you can always post questions in the Office Hours channel in our Slack community. If you are not already a part of our Slack community, definitely get joined up there. There's awesome conversations going on every single day. And there's a link to join in the description of every past show. Uh, we have a few different questions in our queue here for today. Uh, we'll get into these here in just a moment. Um, I see a few questions about um, team stack ownership, groups, uh, research build process, uh, small slate strategy on DraftKings, a variety of different things here in our queue for today. Uh, so if you have questions for me, go ahead and get them in now. Uh, US Open is off to a good start for me. Uh, over the field on Rory, over the field on Aaron Wise, I'm over the field on John Rahm. Uh, so it appears that I've won. Uh, so I am, uh, only, I'm just waiting for DraftKings now to pay me out. So, uh, whenever they are ready, I will be happy to collect my winnings here on this Thursday afternoon. Uh, it was quite a sweat. Uh, I appreciate all the support that I got during this time. Uh, it's a big win for me. So I'm, I'm glad to have taken down all of the, the U S open contests this week, but in all serious, in all seriousness, nothing better than a, a little bit of a Thursday, uh, morning split sweat. Uh, for for uh, a golf tournament. Uh, as always, I am prepared to watch those winnings go down over the course of the weekend here uh, as things shake out. But anyway, uh, I'll, let, let's let's get things uh, let's get things moving here um, and jump in. I wanted to start. I think this is actually a good uh, question to start with here. Um, so I'm going to pick this one up. This is from Jimmy, um, and uh, he said. Uh, I feel like I don't use the groups option enough. Is this something that you use? And if so, what are the recommended parameters to use with it? Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, so some some I do have some thoughts here. Um, so first of all, the groups, for those of you that don't know it, this is somewhat of a new feature still. This, I think, came out uh, in the last, I would say, few months, maybe earlier this spring. Uh, we've added so much to the app this year that it, it's hard to remember when some of this stuff came out. But uh, player groups, right? You can group different combinations of players together. You know, maybe you take uh, Severino and Otani and say no more than one, right? This kind of group would be something like, you know, oops, I didn't mean to build. Maybe something like kind of an ownership focus group, right? You're going to say, uh, I want to take the two chalky pitchers on the slate on a little five-game slate like we have here tonight, uh, split them up. I don't want to get both of them in the same lineup, something like that, right? Well, so the, the groups are best thought of in general, I think, as a way to get additional control over your lineup constructions, right? In a traditional optimizer, you typically have to make a lot of player groups because left to its own devices, all that tool is going to do is optimize for the highest average projected lineups. It's not going to know how to deal with things like ownership. It's not going to know how to deal with things like uh, correlation. Um, those are the big ones in particular. I think in particular correlation, 
right? Uh, a lot of times, you know, on a traditional tool, you may have some stacking tools or something like that uh, to account for correlation. But in a sport, a good example is a sport like basketball, where most of the correlations or the most of the important correlations are negative. Uh, you have to spend a lot of time building player groups to avoid big combinations of negatively correlated players in basketball to avoid getting them into your lineups, right? That I think that's a very common use case. Well, Saversum understands correlations and it understands ownership, right? And it understands ranges of outcomes in the form of, of our, our sim precision slider. Uh, so you don't need to rely on player groups as much on Saversim as you might on other tools. Um, I, for what it is worth, I rarely build groups at all. Um, I, I, actually probably can't even tell you the last time I used the player groups to actually do something as opposed to just demonstrate something on the stream here. But if you have a particular opinion about what types of lineup constructions you want for the slate, it's a great tool to use, right? And that's kind of most often when we get questions on here where I hear from people, you know, maybe maybe you do say, you know, I don't want to see, I want to play, I, I want to differentiate my lineups in a particular way where I don't want Severino and Otani uh, in the same lineup together tonight because I think that's going to be a common pairing, right? That's a good example, I think. Uh, and, and you want to group that out. Um, I do also think, you know, a, another example here is on golf. Uh, I, you know, I know sometimes people maybe don't want to have uh, certain combinations of low salary golfers, right? Maybe you want to set a rule and say uh, you can take all of the golfers in the pool and set a grouping rule or something like that um, and say, you know, this is a common rule that I hear kind of comes up often. Um, you know, I only want one 6K golfer max in my lineups. So you can group all the 6K golfers and say uh, less than or equal to one or something like that, right? Um, I wouldn't ever feel, I don't think with the way that Sabersim works uh, and everything that it takes into account automatically when you build your lineups, I can't really think of any example or any slate or contest types where I would say that groups are a necessity to be successful. Uh, I don't think it's ever a necessity. I think it's a good tool if you want that extra layer of control. The last note I will make on it uh, is that um, I, if you are going to make groups, I would try to approach them with some flexibility. So you see when you make a player group on Sabersim here, uh, there is, um, you know, let's add a couple other pitchers in here. Let's let's grab maybe the top four guys, right? So there's a, a variety of different operators you can use here to set that rule. And, you know, you could say equal to, I don't know, one, right? Um, you could also say less than or equal to one, right? I think in general, try to pick operators and try to build groups in a way that does offer the builder some level of flexibility, right? Uh, Sabersim still has a lot of power managing correlations and ownership and, and the ranges of outcomes on its own. And if you can create groups that allow some wiggle room for the builder to build a, a wide variety of lineups, I think uh, you'll you'll be better served in the long run for that. So uh, that would be kind of like a best practice thing, I would say, with the groups. Um, and I would also say, you know, take a light touch. I guess this is another good best practice thing, right? If you're interested in experimenting with this, right? First, build lineups. Build some lineups for the slate without any groups at all uh, with your with your default sliders and see what kind of lineups you are getting. And look at your lineups and see, are there issues? with the constructions there are the things you don't like based on you know what you're seeing on the correlation or the combinations of differently owned players or things like that um and then figure out what is an appropriate set of groups to make for that particular 
slate, right? Uh, maybe Saberson thinks that a particular construction is effective that you want to avoid, uh, then set a group to particularly target that. But uh, I, I really don't think, you know, a lot of the way that Saberson was designed was intentionally to make it so that you don't have to feel like you need to set a bunch of groups up front to get good lineups, period. So, um, but good first question to get us started with there here. Um, and uh, eight game here, I see your question here. Um, and I missed your question from yesterday. So let's touch on this real quick. So uh, this had come up yesterday. I understand how to set the send the exposures from the home screen for future builds. My question is, is there a quick way to remove them to default? I had stri very strict exposures uh, that wouldn't allow me to generate or edit 150 lineups. Um, and then Saberson would freeze up. So if you've set um, exposures or if you've sent exposures home, right, uh, you can reset these player exposures here with this button. This will pop up when you have a max exposure set and you can click reset. It'll reset everything, right? It'll reset player exposures. It'll reset uh, player projections, things like that. If by chance you have done, if you if by chance you have sent stacking or team or game stacks home, just in, in the same way that there is no, there's currently no interface to see those on the home screen, there is no way to actually reset those either. Um, so what you'll want to do if that happens is you'll need to go into a build and turn all of your exposures. You'll need to reset your exposures from a build and then send those exposures home. Right. So basically, you know, we wanted to, we wanted to give people the, the ability to send those exposures home when, when possible here. Um, but because there is no interface built yet for the teams and stacks exposures, you'll need to actually, so like if you send, you know, if you take, 50% Seattle stacks and then send that home, right? It's going to say you're sending stack exposures home. So then we send, there's nowhere to see that on the home screen, but it's, but it's implemented, right? What you will need to do if you want to get rid of that is reset the exposures here and then send these exposures back home. And then that should wipe that out. Um, eight game says, that's what I'm doing. If you, if that is exactly what you were doing and you were still running into issues, I would use the settings and then report a problem give us a brief description of the issue here uh, and send that over to our support team because it sounds like um, there is maybe a, a bug there um, with that. But if you if you have zeroed out your exposures within a build for everything by using that that reset button and then send those exposures back home, that should that should basically start everything from fresh um, and, and reset you uh, and get you in a good spot there. So um, okay, cool. Uh, GA33 asks a question here uh, about team stack uh, ownership. He said, is there a way to see projected ownership of team stacks? Um, there isn't directly at the moment. This is something we've talked about adding. Um, variety of different ways for us to tackle this. You know, stack ownership is one of those things where it starts to get a little interesting. You know, let's say you're, if, if you're projecting third base ownership, uh, one of the convenient, uh, you know, facts about doing that is that everybody has to roster a third baseman. It, it establishes kind of a, um, you know, you need your ownership for your third baseman needs to sum up to a hundred percent. And every, I mean, everybody needs to have one, right. In a stacks, you don't have to stack a lineup, right. You, you have to, when, when coming up with estimated stack ownership uh, for a slate, you need to also come up with some way of estimating how many people are going to stack and what types of stacks are they going to build. Right. And that, that can be a little bit difficult. So that, that's kind of what we're thinking about on our end. Uh, in the meantime, I think, you know, a couple, there's a couple different ways to approximate stack ownership. Uh, and it really depends on how specific that you want to get and how, how uh, detailed you want to get. Um, I mean, I do think, you know, as a very, if you were looking like to basically assess 
if you basically just want to come up with like a rough ordinal rankings of what teams are going to be the chalkiest, I think either just looking at the Saberson team totals or looking at Vegas, right? Um, using this, I like this. I, I've talked a lot about this fantasy labs dashboard using Vegas here. And just looking this way will actually give you a pretty good idea of what the chalkiest teams are going to be uh, in both probably direction and, and kind of magnitude, right? I mean, you think you could pretty safely say, you know, uh, Philly's probably pretty heavily chalk, then maybe Yankees, Rangers, uh, and then maybe kind of the other teams following from there, right? Uh, the one thing that that totals, that game totals will ignore is salary, right? If a team is particularly expensive to roster, even if their game total or team total is really high, maybe they won't be very chalky, but that can be a decent tool of just getting an idea of how chalky teams are going to be on the slate. Um, if you are interested in a little bit more of actually, you know, maybe calculating this a little bit more precisely, one thing that I've done in the past that I've had some decent success with is pulling down the, uh, downloading the player projections and pulling in the individual hitting projections from the team and summing up and taking, or not even summing up, taking the average of maybe the top five chalkiest players on a given team uh, and um, taking the average of that and saying that's going to be the team stack ownership. And really what you're doing there, if you do that, is you're saying something to the effect of, I'm going to assume for the sake of making this simple that every lineup in the contest is going to have a five stack and the most common way that players are going to stack up a team is by stacking up the five chalkiest bats on that team. Not maybe there's weaknesses to those assumptions, but I think it works at at a pretty, you know, I think it works at a decent basic level of trying to approximate stack ownership. Um, I, I think that is like probably my favorite way. I think that's probably the easiest way of of doing it. That's probably my favorite way of doing it. I, I've had pretty good success with that. I know some people have talked about here in the comments and the chat of this show before. You know, some more robust ways of calculating. Uh, stack ownership like that. I do think an average of the the five chalkiest bats or even maybe the one through five hitters will work pretty good. That will get you pretty far along. Um, I know Safo uh, was mentioned in uh, the MLB chat the other day that he'll just take the sum of all of the batting owners, owners, uh, ownership on a team and just use that as a way to kind of roughly visualize how owned different teams are going to be. Um, I think that's a fine approach as well. I do think one other thing that you can do, especially if you really kind of want to get a little bit more nitty gritty here um, is run lineup builds uh, and force certain stack rules uh, and see what kinds of stacks you are getting to. Um, I, I have, you know, done something like, um, you know, there's old videos up on our YouTube channel where I ran basically what I used to call chalk builds. Uh, and what I would do is I'd basically say, you know, if somebody approached a traditional optimizer with an average set of default projections, right, average projections from somewhere, and forced a rule onto that optimizer and said, give me a five stack in every lineup, and then just pressed build, what kinds of lineups would they get? Uh, and I think you can build lineups like this here uh, and see, you know, let's actually just experiment with this here and build 1500 lineups like this and see what what are your stack exposures right what are your what are your stack exposures to uh to different five stacks um you can even take that one step further if you want to keep even going deeper and adjust all of the team totals on SaberSim to match Vegas right and at that point you would basically be saying if somebody used a very heavily Vegas driven baseball model which Spoiler alert, most baseball projection models out there are pretty heavily influenced by Vegas uh, and went to a traditional optimizer, which is what most of the DFS tools out there are, and said, build me lineups and put a five stack in every lineup. What lineups would they get? That probably actually resembles a big portion of the field. Uh, and I think that would 
do pretty well in approximating stack ownership as well. But it's going to take longer to do all of that than it is to just kind of quickly, you know, glance at totals or uh, just quickly do an average of the top projected batters on a team. So it really depends on what you are trying to get out of it. Uh, there's a variety of different approaches that I think you can take. Um, and, you know, you have to use your judgment a little bit here. Uh, maybe 61% Philly five stacks is a little bit unrealistic, but uh, you know, you can kind of imagine here. Um, I, I, I don't know. I think you can kind of use this as a ranking or turn this into maybe spread this out a little bit more, maybe experiment with a build that is built at a little bit of a, a higher sim precision setting so that you're not as concentrated or something like that. And then, and that should work. But it is our goal, uh, wrapping this question up, it is our goal to do some kind of stack ownership projections in the future. So, um, but, cool. Um, Aaron had asked uh, about quickly swapping out a player not in the lineup. Um, Aaron, I sent you a video. If, if by chance you're, you're tuning in right now, I'd sent you a video one of our support documentation links. Uh, the easiest way to do that is to use our quick swap tool. Um, I sent a, a quick video that we have in the support docs uh, about how to use that. So if you have any questions after watching that, I think uh, I uh, explain it a little bit more articulately uh, than I will be able to do on stream how to use that in that video. So I checked that out if you missed that already. But All right. Um, okay. This is a question from uh, Amadon here, um, and I'm not going to go all the way into this here um, for a couple reasons. But the question says, hi, Jordan, can you show how you use multiple research builds, download the CSVs into Excel, and then look at ownership potentials to help you plan your stack exposures on an MLB slate? So I would be happy to kind of talk about this from a broad strategy standpoint, basically what I am trying to get out of this, um, and also from a you know, kind of more of a, a procedural standpoint, uh, of like, this is, is what I do. Um, I don't want to just go like super deep and explain every single step that I'm actually doing as I do this, uh, in Excel for a couple of reasons. One, I don't want to give the impression that like the ways that I have kind of found this process to work for me are objectively the right way to use SaberSim, that this is the way to build lineups, with SaberSim for baseball. Uh, and second, you know, my process is kind of still a work in pro like a work in uh, progress anyway. And it varies slate to slate uh, and it varies sport to sport. Uh, and, you know, if you had asked me a few months ago, what I might take away from a research build, it might be, a, it's probably a little bit different than what I'm doing now. And it might be a little bit different than what I'm going to be doing two or three weeks from now. Um, but I will kind of show you in general a few things about what I'm actually trying to accomplish with this here. So first of all, for those that are unfamiliar, because I know uh, we have new people watching this stream every single day, and I think this build without context uh, is a little unclear what's going on behind the scenes. So I like to run these research builds. Uh, I run them for most sports and slates. Uh, what they essentially do is they take a 1500 sample of a slate simulation, right? We turn the sliders to 0010. And we are basically, these sliders are going to build an optimal lineup for a given slate simulation where we take a single game for every game on the slate, figure out what those players scored in that set of Sims and print the optimal lineup. And this is mostly used for me 
to calculate ownership inefficiencies. I want to say, you know, if a player if a player has a 20% chance to be in the optimal lineup in 1500 slate sims, but they're going to own 45% of the time, I think the field is being inefficient there. I think there's an opportunity to exploit that inefficient ownership. Uh, so I run these a lot. I think this is one of my favorite ways to add a little bit of additional value, at least at the very least to kind of pull back the curtain on what Saberson might be doing behind the scenes with ownership fade, right? I'm getting an understanding of where there are inefficiencies on the slate for myself, and then I can kind of determine how I want to, to use them. Um, so let's let's pull this up. Let's talk a little bit about what I look at strategically, and then I will do kind of a brief explanation of how I actually use this into pulling this into Excel. Um, so again, strategically speaking, right, I am looking for situations where this number Oh, let's make this a little bit bigger because I know this is hard to read. That should be pretty good there. And let's do this real quick so that we can see the lineups too. I'm looking for situations where there's a difference or a significant difference between this number, which is the percentage of lineups, which is the percentage of lineups in the field that will have this player in it, and this number, which is the percentage of the time that that player is optimal, right? And you can use the leverage column here, which quantifies that difference, right? And in theory... If a player's percent chance of being in the optimal lineup is about equal to the player's percent chance of being in the winning lineup in a contest, there's an there's a in a market inefficiency there, right? So in this case, you know, looking at the pitchers, the field is maybe uh, over owning Severino, nineteen percent of the time, approximately, right? And I will use this to basically get an idea of maybe where some of my favorite fades or plays on the slate are. And it's not, I, I think this is partly why I want to be careful with the way I explain this, because it is not just like a science. The, what you take away from a research build for me is not identical every single time, right? Here's an interesting example of kind of, of why that is, right? You might look at this and say, okay, the best overall fade on the slate is, or the best overall pitching fade on the slate is Severino, right? He's negative 19% inefficiently owned. Well, he is also the most likely to be optimal pitcher on the slate. He is optimal 36% of the time. There's a little bit of a, a push and pull there, right? And it's going to depend a little bit on what contest you are playing uh, and what you are trying to accomplish, whether he is truly a good fade or if maybe you want some exposure or maybe, you know, he might be a player that you want to match the field on. He might be a player that you want to fade completely in. He might be a player that you want to be over the field on even if maybe you're playing a small field thing uh, where the value of getting the guy that's likely to be optimal 36% of the time outweighs the fact that he is maybe inefficiently owned in a contest where you're only playing 150 other additional lineups, right? So I, I, I think I often pull this up as a way to explain how I get a feeling for where I think some inefficient ownership is going to be, but it does depend a little bit on the contest and the slate dynamics itself of how I choose to interpret this on a given slate. Uh, with that said, because part of this question, it seems like is about the process of downloading into Excel. And I've kind of hinted at this before, but I've never actually really showed it. Basically, I will ultimately take, I, I basically download two files off of Sabersim and kind of combine them here. So the first one, I will download the full lineups file from Sabersim. You can do that with the screen button, download lineups. Uh, and I will also grab the actual raw projections here. Uh, and the most important part of this is grabbing the player IDs here. So I will download the player projections here. And then let me go ahead and pull up Excel so I can show you kind of how I actually end up doing this. Um, okay, let me grab this here. 
Okay. So now we have Excel pulled up uh, and then I will open both CSVs here. And I obviously have a sheet that kind of helps me along with this, but we'll do this from scratch, right? So this will basically be, uh, this will be the projections down here. Let me close this so you guys can see what's going on here. Whoops. So I have projections down here. And then I'll also put another sheet here that does like lineups. And I will copy this information over. So let's go ahead and grab these CSVs. So this is the raw export file from SaberSim that are the projections. And then I will grab the CSV. And, oops, losing track of all my tabs here. Then ultimately what I will do here in some, some way or the other um, is, you know, maybe with another column or another sheet, I will say optimal rate. And you can use what's called a, this is pretty small too. Um, let me see if I can make this bigger. I might not be able to make this any bigger. Um, let's see. Yeah, I think we're going to be kind of, yeah, let's do this. There we go. Optimal rate, right? I use a countif function. This is kind of allow a little bit of an Excel tutorial. Countif is basically going to say count all instances of a particular criteria over a range, right? So I'm going to say count if all instances of the DFS ID B1, which corresponds to Severino, across these lineups, right? So across that range. And then if we divide by 1,500, since I built 1,500 lineups, uh oh what happened there oh i mixed these up that's the wrong order here whoops oh geez i blew it okay i mixed it up it's range first and then it's criteria and then divided by 1500 um Oh, and it's uh, A2, or it's B2. Whoops. All right. There you go. So basically backing out the exposure from the research build, right? And now in a spreadsheet, I have an ownership projection. I have the optimal rate and so on. From there, go crazy to your heart's content, right? I've done a variety of different things. I've used that as a tool to help me build out min and max exposures for each player. I've used that as a tool to make adjustments to projections. I've done it just as a way to, you know, I'll print all of these and create uh, a table um, in a way that maybe is useful for me. I've done other things where I uh, doubt I run my final lineups for a slate, export those and compare them against information I have in this spreadsheet. This is the part where you can kind of have some fun with it and figure out what works for you. What, what are the contests you're playing? What are you trying to accomplish in those contests? Uh, what, what is your style of play, right? How exploitative do you want to be? There's a lot of different ways to go here. And, and one thing I want to say here too, right, is that this is by no means a completely necessary part of the process. This is something that I have started doing here as a way that you know, works for me for what I'm trying to accomplish with my particular lineups. If you want to run research builds and I hear like, I've talked about this before. I think if you're unfamiliar with these research builds and you want to start playing a little bit more this way, instead of even approaching anything like that, go into a research build and pick two to five spots that you think are interesting based on what you're looking at. 
right? Maybe you're looking at this here and you think, okay, so a couple spots that I think are interesting. I want to be underweight on Severino. I want to be overweight, overweight on Patrick Corbin, who looks like he's got a decent chance, you know, kind of fading the, the Phillies chalk from the other side. And maybe you say, I want to be, I want to be underweight on Philly and Texas stacks, and I want to be overweight on Seattle and maybe Seattle stacks, right? Those are kind of like four, what are those at? Four angles, five angles that you now could take with you into a test build and, or not even test build, into your build of your final lineups and use, right? So I, I, Again, part of the reason I am careful with how much I want to talk about on stream about this particular topic is because I think sometimes I send the message that to be successful using SaberSim, you need to pull these research builds down into Excel and write count if functions and and do all this. And that's not the case. That's something I found is effective for me uh, over a few years of kind of evolving this from doing what started as just taking notes of my actual research build. Um, so, but hopefully that was still kind of helpful about strategically what I'm trying to accomplish, uh, and, and also how I actually end up pulling that down into Excel. Cause I know I haven't really demoed that as much before in the past. So, um, but for now let's, let's go forward here, uh, a little bit. Um, and I'm going to jump over to YouTube chat here and get caught up first. Um, Jared said DraftKings question on small MLB slates. Is there a certain amount of games that you would recommend forcing a hitter versus your starting pitcher in a lineup? How many is too many hashtag loaded question? Thanks. Uh, I don't think I ever forced that. Um, but on three game slates and smaller, you will see that the, the toggle to allow batters versus opposing pitchers comes on, which will basically tell Saverson, Hey, it's okay to do this. Um, because correlation, because the correlation slider is still non-zero, uh, and pitchers have extremely negative correlations to their opposing batters. It's actually still pretty unlikely, I would say, that you get those combinations of players. Um, but this toggle will at least allow it to happen. Above and beyond trusting that, I don't ever force that in. Um, the only situation I could even think that you would want to do that is if you were playing maybe a very small slate on a very big contest. Like, I know... Uh, so like maybe like baseball playoffs, especially towards the end of the playoffs, when you have pretty small slates and people are kind of excited for, for the playoffs and maybe the contests get a little bit bigger, maybe it makes sense to try to like force some negative correlation in there to avoid getting duplicated or something like that. But that seems to be a pretty niche case. Um, I I don't think it's ever worth like forcing it in. I think, you know, at worst, you you allow it to happen in a handful of lineups where it makes sense because that toggle got turned on. But that that's it. So. Uh, Rogue said, why is it that in most MLB slash NBA showdown, Saberson gives you default ownership fade lineups with like four to five meh players and one to two studs versus the usual winning is three to four studs and one outlier slash flyer? I don't know if that's necessarily true. Like, I think there's a variety of different ways to get different in, in, a sh in showdown. Like there's, there's going to be those constructions where a guy gets minutes like, there's going to be those situations where a guy was under projected by basically the entire field. And it ends up being that like, um, I don't know, uh, a Juan Toscano Anderson lineup uh, because he happened to get 10 minutes because of an injury or something like that ends up and, and scores like 12 points ends up breaking the slate. Right. And the optimal construction ends up being, uh, you know, something pretty chalky like um, 
Curry captain, you know, smart green Tatum plus JTA, right? Excuse me, one sec. Throat's drying up on me here. Talking too much. I need a sip. Okay, so th- those happen, right? And that that can happen. And I mean, what's challenging about that is sometimes that guy is a guy that wasn't projected to be in the rotation, and you might not get any of that lineup. Period. Right. Um, but that can be the construction sometimes. And maybe it is a guy that you get some exposure to, right? Maybe that's Andre Iguodala. And, and because we had him projected for uh, three minutes, uh, he gets into a few of your lineups and you get there. But there are other times where the winning lineup construction isn't anything like that at all. Uh, and you have a unique lineup winning first because it's just something that a lot of people didn't think to do, right? Um, maybe it's like a, uh, I don't know, um, you know, it's an maybe it's an Otto Porter or like a Jordan Poole captain lineup or something like that, or uh, even coming down here a little bit further, maybe the right construction, it, maybe it's a Robert Williams captain lineup uh, that maybe fades, you know, Tatum or, or something like that, right? Like a, a rarer combination of players that were chalky, uh, but combined in that way is, is unique. Um, and personally, I feel like Sabersim does a pretty good job of looking at the individual slate dynamics and building lineups that make sense for that particular slate. Um, and I think a lot of that comes from the fact that it is Sims that are building the lineups, right? Like it's, it's not, you are not trying to guess what lineup constructions might make sense that the lineups are already there. They're already optimals for individual simulations. And your job is a little bit more to, to, you know, I guess the way I kind of think about it is to help facilitate the selection process of those lineups, right? What are the lineups that are less likely to be duplicated? What are lineups that maybe the field is likely to underappreciate relative to their chance of being optimal? Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I can't, I, I can't necessarily say that I, okay. So I guess the, the one point I will make on this question is that, and I, I like touched on it a second ago, right? But, Saberson may slightly bias lo- the lineup constructions that you've specified here because there is like some natural, there's a lot of natural uncertainty here of, of all of these guys that could potentially get in the game if the, if the, the game plays out the right way, right? Like if by chance, I don't know, if by chance this game somehow like totally blows out, Right. And you end up, or or the right injury situation happens at the right time, or like a zero projection. I guess what I'm trying to say, a zero projection for a guy like Damian Lee or something like that would imply that the percent chance of him being in the optimal lineup is truly zero. And that's obviously not true. So Saberson might slightly bias more towards, Saberson will slightly bias more towards constructions and combinations of players that we think are actually likely to get in the game uh, than maybe the weird 0.1% owned Damian Lee optimal or uh, I don't know, JTA optimal or Moses Moody optimal maybe is actually the most likely one of, of, of all of those because we're, we're not projecting that player at all. Um, if you want to take more shots on those guys, you can give some of these guys a slight projection, even a point, even a fantasy point will at least allow them to show up in your lineups. But then you are taking on risk of a player that we don't even think is going to get in the game in probably 99% or more of cases. So I don't know. I guess that's all kind of a, a, a long-winded way of saying that 
because simulations are powering these lineups, I don't think there's a huge bias there. I think, I think for me, at least anecdotally speaking, Saberson does a really good job of picking up on the slate dynamics and building the lineups that have a chance of being unique and optimal for that particular slate. But if there was to be a bias there, it may be because of the way that not, not every player's projection truly represents like no player in theory really has a 0% chance to be optimal. I, I don't think. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting one. I feel like I'm, yeah, that's an interesting question, but anyway, I'm going to move on from there for now. Um, okay. Jared says contest selection, especially head to head, for example, $1 head to head seems like out of all posted contests, there could be five or six different lineups between all of them. Is there a way around this? Yeah. Don't play cash. (laughs) That's, that's like the way around it. Um, we're, we, I, I would say in general, our Saber Sims approach to contest selection is basically to avoid cash for, for more or less what you've described, right? There's not a lot of recreational money in cash games and the, it is too easy to achieve the optimal strategy in cash, which is basically to use a strong set of average projections and build the highest average projected lineups possible. There are some very subtle nuances to cash games above and beyond that. Uh, there's things you can do with, optimizing for ownership and maybe even including some negative correlation in your lineup uh, or creating late swap flexibility on the right slate. Uh, But cash games are too easy to be decent at, which makes it too hard to beat the rake for a player that's trying to get an edge, I would say for the vast majority of players. Uh, I think your money that you would be investing into cash games can be spent far more uh, better feels like a weird way to say that in good GPPs and with a good GPP contest selection portfolio. Um, I would recommend if you haven't seen it already, checking out our recent video on contest selection. Um, we actually just put this out. So on our Saberson channel and this very top playlist uh, on the right, play these GPPs to maximize your DFS profits. Uh, our data scientist, Eric, uh, basically conducted this like month long, almost six week long research project where he did full contest simulations for uh, essentially the entire lobby for baseball baseball on DraftKings and came up with this whole framework uh, of how to optimize your contest selection and build out this lineup or this contest portfolio that maximizes your upside while minimizing your risk. It's really cool. I don't think there's anybody else in the industry that's even talking about contest selection in this way. Um, this is an hour long video uh, because I, I just kept having questions and we had a really interesting conversation about this framework. But if you've only got 15 or 20 minutes, the first 15, 20 minutes or, or so of this is basically the, the fundamentals of contest selection uh, from from our perspective, basically, from, from what our research found. So um, I think... Coming back around to the cash games thing, I think there are some specific sports where you can be successful in cash, uh, but it's only it's probably only really football, um, maybe very early season basketball. Uh, if you want if you want to be successful in cash games, basically you need to find you need to find a part of the lobby where it is uh, flush with recreational money. Uh, and football is a good example of that, right? If you go play head to heads in week one in football, you 
you won't see this this concept that you were describing here. Uh, it would not surprise me. You're talking about these five or six different lineups across all of the different head to heads. You know that that very well may be just like the optimal lineups from five or six different projection systems, right? Like you may be playing, uh, you may be playing up against like the bats optimal, and then maybe somebody's running Sabersim's optimal, and then maybe somebody's running Osimo's optimal uh, or, or Stochastic's optimal now, right? Uh, or and maybe somebody's running um, the I don't know, the Roto Grinders optimal or something like that, right? All of these different sites. Uh, and there's probably some subtle differences between the projections of all those different sites, but the average projections are all probably going to be pretty close. And nobody's beating the rake against each other in those in in those kinds of contests. So that is what you're experiencing. That is exactly why we generally recommend people avoid cash games, with the exception being maybe Football, probably, if you're already getting down a ton of action into great GPPs as a way to get additional money down on the slate. So, but good question. Um, Yeah, good question. Uh, okay, let's see. Uh, eight games said last night, the FanDuel 745 p.m. Eastern slate didn't seem to be supported. Was it because it was a tiny prize pool? Uh, I don't know. Um, I, yeah, I didn't even know there was a, oh, this is today. Two game slate. It's, I mean, it seems like it's here. I don't know if there was an issue maybe building lineups for it, but it seems like it is here. We can try and see, but. Yeah, I mean, it, it's up here in the app. I'll, I'll see if some lineups build, uh, and then we can see. If you're running into any issues, it might be a better better question to send over to uh, support. Um, my troubleshooting uh, options here are somewhat limited on stream here, so might be a good opportunity to, to reach out to support and see if you were if you were running into any build issues or anything like that. Um, so, um, eight game said, "Can you make a lineup? We will. We will try. Let's see." It is going a little slow, so it's possible there was something, there was something up. I apologize for for any issues that were coming up. Regardless, it's possible this is just kind of a slow build as well. Sometimes um, you can get a slow build. Maybe we, maybe we reset this. But let's see. I'm going to start with another one. But maybe you're right, and we can we can look into this here. Let's do. Let's just try to build hundred. Okay, so we do have some lineups building here now. Yeah. I mean, we, we were able to build a lineup here. Um, so these kinds of things, uh, definitely a little bit easier for the support team to to offer some more help with, with troubleshooting. Um, above and beyond, I kind of basically just doing this. There's only so much I can do here on stream to, to help you out. So I would email support and see, you know, if you're running into issues or getting an error or something like that, they can typically help out a little bit quicker. So. Uh, and then it, uh, is adjusting the game total a good way to build lineups you are interested basically to have the pitchers and stacks you want? Yeah, I think that's a great approach. Um, one of my one of my favorite tools on the, the site overall to make adjustments. Uh, the main reason why is because you can make correlated adjustments here by doing that, right? Like let's say, you know, uh, again, we had talked a little bit about 
based on our research build, maybe having a little bit of interest in fading uh, Philly and Texas, right? Those two teams popped off uh, in those research builds. So we can drop them by both like a half a run, which is a good adjustment I like to do to start with and then apply those changes. And then what we get out of this is we get, there's a couple things. First of all, um, it will appropriately change the batting projections in a way that kind of like makes sense for the original projections here, right? Um, what's going on here, right? So um, I don't know why. There we go, right? So you don't have to worry about like, how much am I going to lower each individual hitter on the team? It kind of handles that for you, but you'll also get a little bit of a boost to the opposing team pitcher, right? Which is a good thing. If you want to fade uh, the Rangers bats, it probably makes sense that you're a little bit more bullish on uh, Bo Brisky, or in the case of uh, Phillies, you're a little bit more, bullish on, on Patrick Corbin, right? Like that kind of thing makes some sense there. Um, so I think it's a fantastic way. If you want to make some adjustments, if you want to take a stand on any team, uh, one of my favorite ways to do that, I would say in particular, um, I would, or not even in particular specifically, I would, uh, I would start with like a half run adjustment. I think a half run adjustment is a pretty good approach. One thing that can be useful about that, you know, is if you do a half run adjustment, you build more lineups and you don't get the impact that you expected it is a little bit of an opportunity to like check your work there and ask, you know, okay, basically what we're saying, you know, if you, if you lower Philly by a half run from what we project in the Sims and you're still getting a lot of Philly, that's saying, you know, if they're, if they're, you know, if their mean total is, is if we're wrong on their mean total by a half run, it's, there's still a good play. Right. Um, and maybe you want to go a little bit further. Maybe you take them down a full run, but it's a good opportunity to kind of check your work as you're going along here. So, uh, again, definitely in, in highly correlated sports like baseball, I really like the team totals. It's not something that I think is as useful or something that I would do very often in like basketball, where I think maybe you want to make adjustments more on the individual player level. Uh, but for baseball, I think it's a really, I think it's a really good one. So, um, okay. Patrick said, I never pay attention to the payout structure in big GBPs. When I MME going forward, do I need to see if it's a balanced payout or flat structure like the MLB single entry battery? Yeah. So the, the payout structures for contests, I would say do kind of follow the trend of what, so payout structure is kind of missing here in our default dropdowns, right? Like we, we group things by contest style and entry limit and entrance, uh, and, change up the optimal strategy based on that, right? A 500 person single entry contest is different than a uh, 50,000 person, 150 max, right? And I do think payout structures in general do kind of follow the trends of these, right? So like most single entry contests are pretty flat payout structures. So when you click a single entry, like the battery, for example, uh, and you changed these sliders that have been optimized for those kinds of contests. It does in some ways naturally take into account the payout structure there a little bit um, because of that, because most single entries are, are pretty flat. I think it is a, still a good idea to look at, especially in some of the larger field contests where there can be a discrepancy of the way a contest is paid out. Right. Uh, like uh, for example, at two completely different price points, the mini max at the low stakes in general is going to have a much flatter payout structure than the flagship contest, the $15, right? The $15 is quite a bit top heavier than the mini max. You may need a little bit more. Um, you may want to be a little bit more aggressive with the way that you handle ownership and variance in something like the flagship than you would need to be in the mini max because of the way that contest is paid out. 
Um, so, and you said NHL at a top payout of 20 K for first and then second place, I believe 5k. Yeah. NHL. And in general, I think some of the smaller sports, uh, can get pretty top heavy because they, the sites want to attract people to playing that particular contest. And I think recreational players don't really, they recreational players like to see a big high, big first place, right. Uh, more often than not. So to gain interest, to keep people interested in hockey, for example, DraftKings will happily do 25K to first, 5K to second, uh, just so they can say that 25K to first. Um, I think in particular, you know, if you are playing, if you are playing those, those bigger GPPs, 150 max, 20 max kind of contests, I think it's worth taking a peek at the payout structure and just at least familiarizing yourself with how that contest is paid out. Um, so yeah, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a good idea to, to look at, um, so a decent rule of thumb. Um, I think there's, I think there's a variety of different rules of thumb, but, uh, I think if a contest is, I kind of start to think about a contest being top heavy ish, uh, if more than 20% goes to first, uh, and more than 40% of the contest goes to the top 10 of the prize pool. I think, I think that starts to resemble a contest that is a bit top heavier to me. So uh, Jay Brown said, would you make the research build the same for every sport and esports? Zero, zero, 010. Uh, yes, in theory, um, because the goal is still the same, right? You are trying to simulate the slate and this is how you would accomplish that, right? You don't want, you don't want correlation and ownership fade for the purposes of this. Cause this is purely research, right? Correlation and ownership fade are DFS tools, right? This is about basically looking at the raw Sims, uh, and you want sim precision to be 10 because you want single simulations, you want, you want to say, oh, the slate is in, in reality only going to get played out once, right? So you want to mimic that and simulate the slate in that way. Um, now, there are there are issues with a research build that are kind of can be, I don't know. There, there are, I guess I should say, there are assumptions with the idea of a research build that can be better or worse assumptions based on what sport you are building for right? Or what you are trying to accomplish. So, I mean, one huge assumption is that you are basically saying when you run a research build that the percent chance of a player being in the optimal lineup resembles or approximates the percent chance of a player being in the winning lineup for your contest. And in certain sports, like MMA, for example, is a really good example. The optimal wins large field GPPs somewhat frequently. So that's actually probably a pretty good approximation. Now, in a sport like baseball, the optimal, the true highest scoring optimal lineup you could build, even for a five-game slate like tonight, is very unlikely to be the winning lineup, even in larger field GPPs. Just because there are so many players in the pool, it's very hard to for somebody to just find that lineup. Um, so there are limitations, I think, of or there are there are issues with the assumptions at the core of the research build uh, that I think you should be aware of if you're going to use them. Um, but this is, at least from my perspective, these are always the settings I would use when I'm going to use it. So, um, the NIT said, if we are on the 20 max package, can we make two different 20 max builds, label them and fill in two different 20 maxes? Yeah, this is like the second question I've had in a week of somebody trying to like basically kind of, I don't know, I guess optimize. Maybe I'll, I'll say it's optimizing the, the DFS starter plan, I guess. Uh, you certainly can. There's no guarantee that those lineups are going to be unique would be the big thing, right? Um, like if you build two different 20 maxes, it's possible that there is a lineup 
that is shared in both builds and you may have a duplication there. Um, the starter plan is designed really for people that are playing $20 or 20 unique lineups or less on a given slate. That is, that is what is designed for. Um, it is, it is for people, I, I would say, particularly just getting started out in multi-entry that are maybe making a jump from, from hand building or playing one to five lineups to up to 20 and getting familiar with what managing 20 entries feels like. The best answer I can give to you if you are trying to play 40 unique lineups a night uh, is to, to sign up for the advanced plan and take advantage of the features that come with that. Um, yeah, so... Um, if you are okay with having maybe a lineup in common to fill two different 20 maxes, then that's fine. You can do that. Uh, but there's no guarantee that those lineups would be unique between builds. So, uh, and then Patrick said, who are you overweight for uh, golf this weekend? I mentioned it at the start of the stream. Um, a couple of my biggest exposures are off to a good start. I have uh, a ton of Rory. I have a ton of Aaron Wise, uh, or I'm overweight on Aaron Wise. I have a lot of Rom. Um, and then a couple other guys that maybe are doing, I don't know, okay. I, ha I have a lot of Hideki. Um, who else? Um, I ended up with quite a bit of uh, Shane Lowry. I think he's in the afternoon split. I don't think he's started yet uh, or has maybe started since. Um, but I was off to a good start this morning. I'm also like weirdly, I think uh, I only have like 8 or 9%, but uh, Matt Neesmith is my like highest exposed 6K golfer. Uh, who also is having a good round one. So I'm off to a decent start. We'll see how it goes. Uh, typically uh, expect to have my uh, hopes and dreams crushed by golf DFS by like Friday afternoon, most weeks anyway. Um, but so, but what about you? Who, who are you guys? Anybody that played uh, anybody that played the U S open this week? Who are, who are some of your guys' favorite plays? Let me know. Curious. Oh, I missed this question here. Uh, and this is a good one too. Uh, so I apologize to have kept you waiting here, Mark. Um, let's hit this one. Said, hey, Jordan, for one of the three game late contests last week, I only had eight minutes to get ready. So I just ran a build quickly, didn't review the lineups and just entered them in the quarter jukebox. I then proceeded to bank that contest. Been wondering about my process ever since. Is there some point when adding work to Saberson's builds becomes negative EV? Yeah, uh, definitely. That you can... You can absolutely make negative EV decisions. Um, Saberson does a very good job of building like GPP ready lineups out of the box. And I think uh, to become, not to say it is a money printer because it isn't. Uh, and there is absolutely a massive ceiling of where you can take the tool from there. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, we get this sometimes with people that are surprised this kind of thing happens. And then it's like, wow, what am I doing with all my other stuff? Um I, I, this is a really interesting question. I think it is a good practice on occasion every so often. Um, this is something that I actually do because I have a habit of slowly accumulating different steps to my process and then ending up with this bloated thing that I'm like, do I need to do all this? Write down every step of your process when you have time. This is a useful exercise to do. Write down every step of your process that you're actually doing. Um, and then write down about how long it takes, right? you know, just approximate it, write down what you get out of that, right? And then go through that process. Maybe you have like step-by-step step and ask yourself, you know, is the time that I'm spent doing worth it here? Is this redundant based on other steps of my process or other things that maybe Saberson is doing for me? Uh, and how much of this do I, do I actually want to retain, right? 
And I think that can be a little bit of a trimming of the fat each time you do this here uh, to, to bring things back down a little bit. And again, that's not necessarily to say that, you know, I don't come on the show every single day and say, no, don't do anything else. Push the button, push the green button and print money and go on your way. Right. There are, there are absolutely ways to add a lot of value here. And um, you know, there are, there are things that I like to do with my process with these research builds, but I do think it's easy to fall into a trap of doing a lot of things that are at best neutral EV uh, and at worst uh, negative EV. Right. Um, and I think asking yourself, you know, what are you getting out of different steps in your process can be a good way to combat that. Um, one other point I would make there too, is the, the less sure you are about something in general on Saberson, the less confident you are, if that is a, a good thing to do, uh, the more I am inclined to do it after the build has been made. Right. Uh, because what's nice here. So like, you can build lineups here on Saber Sim. So let's build for a 20 max, right? And if we build these lineups, we are going to take default projections, default ownership, and default settings for the contest we are playing and build 500 lineups here. And these lineups are likely to be pretty diverse, right? And we only need to end up with 20. So let's say our research process, whatever it involves, has made us decide that we are going to completely fade Otani and Severino or something like that, right? but maybe we're not super confident about it. We can go in here and eliminate them from the pool and basically arrive at, so let's see. Oh, actually, are we all, we're almost doing that already um, because the ownership fade slider is so high, but we can go in here and do this. And what we will get out of this is basically the top 20 lineups out of a pool of 500 that was made unopinionated about that particular decision. Right. If we made that adjustment in step one or in the pre-build process, right, we would we would opinionate that pool. We would say remove these pitchers, then build lineups. Now, if you are very confident about that decision, you will end up with a better and more flexible pool for other things you want to do that you are less confident about, maybe in the post-build process. But I do think there's a very good general rule of thumb here that the less confident you are that a decision you are making is the positive EV decision for that slate, the more I would feel comfortable doing it in the post-build process than the pre-build process. Um, so, and for what it is worth, uh, for these like three game late kind of contests, all of the different showdowns, uh, when I have time and I am grinding every single slate, on a lot of these kind of auxiliary extra slates, I will legit just take what Saberson is giving me. And I found that it's pretty successful. So I will do like my full process for the main slate where I'm doing my research. Uh, I'm dialing things in. I'm making adjustments. But then for the showdowns and the other extra slates uh, throughout the day, I will legit just play what I'm getting because I don't have time to do a full developed process for every single slate. But I want to get action down in different slates. I want to spread out a little bit. And I found that that can be pretty successful. So um, anyway, good question. Good one to touch on there. Cool. Um, Jared says, does Saberson offer specific MLB projections for each slate, or do you just stick to the main slate? So we have projection, we have simulations for every slate on the like that day. Um, because we we simulate every game, right? So no matter how the no matter how they package the slates up into different showdowns and combinations of slates, uh, we will have sims and projections and ownership for for everything that day. So um I typically play Lately, I've only been playing the main slates. Um, when I have time, 
Uh, and especially at the starts of new seasons there, I will like grind like every slate. Um, but I haven't had the time as much to do that lately, but, um, before my recent move, I was, uh, I was hitting everything I was hitting like today. I would be in the early, the afternoon, the main and all three showdowns. Um, so I've just been playing the, the main slates and the early slates. That's just me though, but we have support for all of those. So if she said Bryson, Louie, Reed and nah. I imagine you uh, have some probably some pretty low owned lineups in there. Then I don't think any of those names are are too popular. Um, so Patrick said, "By the way, thank you for the update. You can finally delete a previous build on the computer. Couldn't do it before. Could only d- delete previous on a mobile device." Uh, interesting. That's that's not supposed to be new. It's possible. It might. It's probably maybe we fixed a bug. Maybe, but I'm glad it's glad it's working. Uh, and then over the weekend, I had a player who wasn't in the starting lineup, but wasn't listed out in MLB. Saber didn't account for that player, and I had to manually quick swap that player after updated projection. Yeah, hard. I I don't know. Um, we, I, I don't know what might have happened there without uh, a little bit more context. Um, yeah, it's it's possible. It's possible as well that maybe a sim hadn't finished running yet. Um, I don't know. Without a little bit more, without more context, I'm not really sure what what happened there. But always, I guess maybe a good lesson. You know, always best when you have the time uh, to do it to just double check um, those kinds of things. Right? Um, there are things that can can get missed sometimes. So, cool. Well, we are right at about an hour. I think we will go ahead and leave it off there for today's stream. As always, a big thank you to everybody that uh, tuned in and came and uh, hung out with me here for this past hour, chatted, asked questions, and so on. Uh, everybody that watches and listens to the show as it goes up as a recording on YouTube and all of the podcast outlets, I appreciate you as well. Uh, good luck on the MLB early slate. Good luck on the MLB main slate. Good luck if you're playing the NBA showdown. And good luck, of course, if you are playing the U.S. Open, uh, DFS, and anything else uh, in there going on as well. We'll be right back here again tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern for Friday's show. Uh, and I will be right back then. So take care. See ya.